Part five, I want to talk to you about this. The power of community. Hey, everybody at all of our locations in-house, take out your notes. They look like this. Make sure that you fill in the blanks and follow along with us. We do this to encourage you to get deeper in the Word of God. Take out your Bibles. We're going to go to a bunch of scriptures today, but we're going to read specifically from Mark chapter 3 right now. So at all locations, stand with me right where you are. And we will read Mark chapter 3. I want to look at verses 13 to 19. We will look at them later in the message. But reading God's word together, we stand for the reading of God's word. Here's what it says. And he, that is Jesus, and Jesus went up on the mountain and called to himself those whom he desired. And they came to him. This is the calling of Jesus' disciples. This This is the apostles' calling. And it says, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boagnares, or that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, we all know Thomas from his day of doubting, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Look at this name, Simon the Zealot. What's that all about? We'll talk about that in just a moment. And verse 19, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this moment, our ears will be open to hear your voice. That our hearts will be receptive to receive the seed of the word of God. And that our eyes will see Jesus. Him and him, him, and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said a good Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I'm talking to you today about the power of community. At Waters Church, we do life groups. They are the heartbeat of our church. We like to say circles are better than rows. Right now, at our locations, you are in rows. But that is just the front door of Waters Church. There's a whole lot of house left to explore. When you go visit your neighbors... Imagine if they just kept you in the foyer the whole time. How are you doing? Good to see you. Let's have some food in the foyer. That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what's up with this here? They're not very comforting. They're not very homey. They're not very hospitable. Well, Waters Church, the Sunday morning experience is the foyer of our church, of our house. And, and so we, we want to welcome you in here, but, but then we want to direct you to the family room. You know, you know, we want to take you to the, the guest room first, the more, you know, proper guest room where you have first time guests in your house. And then if you're lucky, we'll bring you to the TV room where everybody eats popcorn and there's a stain of Coca-Cola on the carpet and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, and we'll, and we'll hang together. And then if you get to really know us, you'll get into our kitchen and we'll have food around the countertop and we'll just talk about life. That's what we call the small group, the life group of our church. Those areas where you start to face one another and grow together as you learn from one another. Hey, it's it's been the model of Jesus' church since the beginning. The church was not just a gathering of people to hear one guy preach for 40 minutes and then leave. No, no, no. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, 42. Look at it with me on the screen. It says, they, that's the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of Somebody say fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice 
They devoted themselves to these things. The apostles teaching. That's what we're doing right now. I'm teaching you about Jesus, teaching you about the word of God. Then that next word to the fellowship. And this is in Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two is the birthday of the church. This is when the church was born. And the very first thing that you see, the very first sign that the church is live is that they were devoted to God's teaching and they were devoted to each other and they fellowshiped. And later in that text, it says that they broke bread in their homes and they Praise God together and God added to their number. So they go to temple and worship and they go to their homes and they eat food together. There's a whole bunch of Christians don't realize you need a small group. You need a life group. We have three kinds at Water Church. We have small groups which get together and talk about the scriptures on Sunday and talk about the message and unpack how we live that out. Then we have e-groups, which are through video Zoom calls. And that was kind of like the birth child of the pandemic. And so we started those a couple years ago. And then we have action groups. And these are for the people who just love to put their hands to work and go and rake someone's lawn and shovel someone's driveway and move someone to a different house because they just love to serve. And so there's three kind of groups. We want you to get in them. And I want you to hear me say this. I want every single one of you in some kind of life group at Water Church. Your faith... Depends on it. I say this ad nauseum almost every week. I need to say it again. There is a pandemic going on and it's not COVID. It's the pandemic of loneliness. The pandemic of isolation. The pandemic of just me and me alone. I found this stat out this past week. Was shocked by this stat. Everybody's lonelier than ever before in this country since they started taking uh, statistics on this. But there's one particular demographic. There's one particular group of people in the United States that are severely lonely. You'll never guess who. 80% of men between the ages of 25 and 35 consider themselves constantly lonely. I want you to think about that stat again. 80% of what? 25 to 35 year old men. And it's so ironic because the last 50 years of this culture has been telling men, don't tie yourself down to anybody. Don't get married. Put that off into your 30s and 40s. Have fun. Party. Sleep around. Enjoy pornography. You don't need to commit to anyone. Live for yourself. Get the big paying job. Have the awesome house, the cool car. And and don't procreate because that's boring and it won't help you. And years, decades of this have done the exact opposite of what it promised. Our young men are far more isolated, far more lonely, far more depressed than ever before. You know why? Because you're not meant to live like that. God wants you to have a family, young men. There is nothing better. You want to talk about slaying the dragon. It's amazing how our video games, we slay the dragon, rescue the princess, or or shoot down the enemy commander and rescue the the, the captives or the hostages. And, And we play it. Young men play those games digitally. You need to start playing those games physically. You need to start fighting for your wife, fighting for a wife and a house and a family and children. But even if that's not for you, you need to have a fight in you for community in the family of God. And not just young men, everybody. See, we got to come out of this, this season that we've just been through of isolation and separation. 
we got to get back to community. And I'm telling you, as God is my witness, I am a living, breathing, walking example of the power of community. My life was shaped by small group, by close-knit relationships to people, listen, to whom I was not physically related to, that have shaped me, encouraged me, changed me, challenged me, and molded me into who I am today. So I'm going to give you three points about community to inspire you to get out of the rows and get into circles and face each other and grow together. Here's point one. Write this down in your notes. The first thing Jesus did was start a small group. Yeah. The first thing Jesus did was start a small group. Now, when he, now when, I meant, when I say the first thing he did, I'm talking about when he began his ministry. So Mark chapter one, Mark is the third of the gospels, Matthew, or second of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke's the longest. Matthew's written to Jews. John is written to Greeks. Mark is the shortest of the gospel. If you ever wanna get the Cliff Notes version of Jesus' life, Mark's gospel from beginning to end, 16 chapters, very fast paced. They call it the gospel of action. And it's very clear right on the first page that it's the gospel of action because God, because here's what happens in verse 16. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, it, we're, just, we're just 16 verses in. Look what it says. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And a group is born. Jesus' life group is born with Peter and Andrew, Simon and Andrew. Now, this is on the heels of one verse that talks about his baptism. That's Mark 1, 9, not on the screen. There's one verse that talks about his temptation in the wilderness. That's well, two verses, Mark 1, 12 to 13. There's one verse that talks about the fact that, he, that, G, that John was arrested and Jesus starts preaching. And then you get to verse 16, two verses later, and Jesus is starting a small group. Let me just say it as clearly as I can. If Jesus needed a small group, you need a small group because you're not Jesus. <laughs> you're not God the Son, but God the Son in emptying himself, Philippians 2, in emptying himself of all of his divine prerogatives and becoming fully human, the first thing he does is he starts a small group. Now let me talk about what happens to this group. This is what happens when they get into group and we see this play out over the course of the gospels. Write this down. The first thing you see happening is this group found identity in Jesus. You wanna know who you are? Get into life group. You wanna know who you are as a Christ follower? Get around Christ followers. You gotta learn from people who are already doing it. This is imperative to you. That's how you know who you are. You cannot be a, a powerful Christian if you have no Christian friends and people who love Jesus that you do this whole thing with. They will shape you. They will encourage you. They will bless you. They will teach you. They will train you. And that's exactly what happens with these guys who follow Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 13. Look at what it says. It says, when day came, he calls his disciples... He called his disciples, and it says this. He chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. He gave them identity. When, he, when Jesus names them, he's saying, this is what you are now. You are my apostles. I am sending you out. 
That's what apostle means. It means sent one. So they get identity as they hang with Jesus. So you got to understand this as a Christian. You're never going to act like a Christian if you're not like around other God-fearing Christians. You're never going to. If you think you can have all non-Christian friends and, be a, and know who you are, you are sorely mistaken. You will become just like them. And this is why some of you can't get over certain addictions in your life. This is why some of you can't get joy in your life. This is why some of you don't have any love for the word in your life. Because you don't spend time in community with other Christians. They will empower you to remind you to know who you are and act like that. Number two, this group got opportunity for ministry. Write that down. They got opportunity to serve others. And this is where we find our identity and opportunity. So identity and opportunity is found not in facing me, but in facing each other. That's what Jesus did with these guys. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says, he called to him his 12 disciples, and then he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out demons, to heal every disease and every affliction. Like This is where their opportunities were born. I can attest to this myself. Now, when I was growing up, my whole church was a small group because it was about 30 people strong. And I don't think you need small groups in a church that's about 30 people. It's, it's just basic math, basic socio, uh, sociology. Anyway, I learned who I was through that community. And that community, we gathered not just on Sundays, but we gathered on Sunday night for, for a smaller tight-knit fellowship, and then we gathered on Tuesday night. Remember back in those days, it was Tuesday night Bible study, and then we would have Thursday night youth. I mean, we were always at the church, and that always reminded us who, of who we were. Here's what I found, though. I also learned how to play the drums at church. I'm a drummer, and not so much anymore, but that's how I learned to get involved in music. I learned to play the guitar by being in community. I learned how to play piano. I learned how to sing by being in community. I learned how to study God's Word by being around people who knew how to study God's Word. And I want to just tell you, I want to remind you, everything that I am right now is not because of me. It's because of the people that God put in my life and that I, I surrounded myself with. And it's just a rule of life. Some of you got to listen to this very carefully. You will become in five years the summation of your five closest friends. You will. You will become whatever they are if you spend time with them over five years. So who are you spending time with? Who are you letting give you identity? And then where are you finding opportunity? That's exactly what happens with the disciples. Then this group, write this down, became Jesus's friends. And this is awesome because you don't start out as friends. It goes all the way through to John 15. We get to the Last Supper. Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. And then at, at the end of three years of walking with them, he says this in verse 15. Love this text. He says, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. It took three years, but they became his friends. Hey, listen to me. Some of you bail on life group and small group before you really see the benefit of life group and small group. You bail before the benefit. And here's the thing. You go into a small group and you're like nervous about it. And you're like, I don't know. And, and then the devil plays tricks on you. And the tempter comes in and says, you don't need this. And then you bail. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just do this myself. And you miss out. Because if you just hang in there, you're going to learn to love these people. And they're going to learn to love you. And anybody who's had any friend knows this. It takes time to develop friends. Hey, it also takes trials to develop friends. Do you know your closest friends are the people that have suffered with you? Your closest friends are the people who have struggled with you. And it takes time and it takes testing to develop deep friendships. 
So don't bail before the benefit. Don't don't come to small group night, you know, the, the time of small group and be like, I'm not going to go tonight. No, you got to force yourself to go and show up because if you show up, it will start to shape you up into what God wants you to be. Then lastly on this point, I want you to write this down. This group also ministered to Jesus himself. I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment. They weren't just ministered to, they actually reciprocated ministry back to Jesus. Yes, yes. So Jesus had the 12, and that's, by the way, why the rule for our life groups is no bigger than 12, because if it was big enough for Jesus, it's big enough for us. And then inside the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. As the soldiers are coming with Judas to come and arrest Jesus, it says this, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, so Peter, James, and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to Peter, James, and John, he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He asks them to pray for him. Do you ever think about this moment? The God of heaven and earth is asking the very people he made to pray for him. Now, this is a mystery theologically, but it's a picture for us physically. It's a mystery theologically because the incarnation itself is a mystery. How is Jesus fully God and fully man at the same time? That's a mystery. There's really no way we can fully comprehend it. We take it by faith. But in becoming a fully human being, Jesus needed somebody. Think about that. And if he needed people, so do you. Please do not give me the excuse. I don't believe. If you tell me this, I don't believe you. I'm doing fine by myself. No, you're not. No, you're not. That, that is so prideful. That is so arrogant. You're basically saying I can do Christianity better than Jesus. Uh, no, you can't. You need others. I need others. I would not be your pastor today. I I state this with absolute conviction. I would be out of the ministry. I would be probably out of the church today if it wasn't for the close friends in Christ who pray for us, me and my wife, who lift us up, who bless me, who empower me with encouragement and are with me through ups and downs. If Jesus needed a small group and I need a small group, you better believe your sorry self needs a small group or a life group or an action group or whatever. You need a community. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two. This is great. Jesus' life group was deliberately diverse. Write this down. Jesus' life group was deliberately diverse. Now, this is also a hurdle for a lot of Christians to getting into small group. The hurdle is, well, they're not like me. Um, let me just say, thank God. They're not like you. <laughs> you know, if everybody was like you, you probably wouldn't like the world. Honestly, let's just be honest, because if we're real honest, there's a lot about us that we don't even like. And so what Jesus does, he does the strategic thing. When he brings together the 12 disciples, and we read the passage, Mark chapter 3, he brings really different people together. Look what it says first, and again, we're going to back this up. It says, he called, to the, he called to him those whom he desired.
desired. Another word for desired is these are the people he wanted. These are the people that he wanted in group. So these are his kind of people. And notice what it says. They came to him. He appointed them. He, he, he anointed them. So that, that's the identity and the opportunity and then the intimacy. That's all there. Those are the three things from point one. Identity, opportunity, intimacy. But then verse 15, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. Now the names. Look at this. Simon, that's Peter. Uh, James, John. Then there's uh, Andrew and Philip. By the way, James and John are called the sons of thunder because there was a moment in James and John's life where they saw people rejecting Jesus and they turned to Jesus and they said, hey, do you, do you want us to call that fire from heaven to consume them, Jesus? Like, these are the kind of people that when you mess up the church, they want to burn you at the stake, man. When you don't show respect to the house of God, they want to kick you out. And that's James and John. So they get the nickname Sons of Thunder because they were just like kind of bodacious like that. They were kind of, they were kind of like loud like that. Anyway, Andrew... And every time you see Andrew in the scripture, he doesn't say much, but he's always bringing people to Jesus. Do you know that Peter came to Christ because Andrew was the one who originally went and got Peter? Do you know that the boy with the five loaves and the two fish at the miracle feeding of the 5,000, that boy came to Jesus with his lunch? Do you know why? Because Andrew was a connector between that boy's lunch and Jesus' miracle working power. Do you know that the Greeks in John chapter 12 come to meet Jesus and, and they talk to Philip and Philip doesn't know what to do when Greek we Greek people want to meet Jesus because they're Gentiles and he's Jewish. And so he goes to Andrew and he says, what do you think? And Andrew is the one who brings the Greeks to Jesus. Look, at some people in the church are Andrews. They're connectors. They're people who are gifted at bringing others together. And then it says a bunch of other names. Uh, you got uh, Matthew. Uh, sorry, Philip, Bartholomew. Matthew, who is this? That's the tax collector. He worked for Rome. Yeah, He, he was literally betraying his people his Jewish friends and family by taxing them and overtaxing them to empower the occupying empire that was ruling over the Jews' life. Like he was working, it'd be like someone working for the FBI, loving you, being in a relationship with you. And this is who Matthew is. Thomas, we know him, the doubter. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. And I want to talk about that in a moment. And Judas who betrayed. So there was even some false believers. There was even some false Christians. Listen, never judge a church by all the Christians in the church. Because in every church, there's some people who aren't really Christian. Even in Jesus' group, there was a guy who wasn't really with it. So, so don't judge the church by one bad apple, man. That's just life. That's how it goes. But I want to talk to you for a second because in Jesus' day, and you need to know this. In first century Judaism, Judaism was the, the, the faith of the Jews, okay? There were a bunch of different sects of Judaism, S-E-C-T-S, sects. So these, these people had different, <laughs> think about how novel this is, different Jewish denominations. <laughs> nothing changes, I'm telling you, nothing changes. Different kinds of churches in Judaism. So they went from far left to far right. I'm telling you, nothing is new under the sun. On the far left, there was a group of Jews. They were called the Herodians. They loved the government. They loved Herod. They thought Herod was the answer to getting Judaism strength in their culture. And so they were really reliant on the government. If, 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 if Dr. Fauci says wear five masks, they wore six just in case. They were far left. And then there were, then next to them, there were Sadducees. And these were people, they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. 
stupid preacher joke. But anyway, they didn't believe in a next life, so they wanted this life to be all really good. They believed in social justice. They believed in working for the poor. They believed we need to make people's lives better because this is the only life that they have. And then to the right of them were the Pharisees. We could, we could equate these to people like us, the evangelical Christian crowd, the people who believed the Bible, the people who believed in God, the people, the people who really were devoted to the practices of their religion. That was the Pharisees. And by the way, who does Jesus challenge the most? The Pharisees. And then to the right of the Pharisees were the Essenes. And the Essenes, these would, you'd call these like the homeschool Christians. These are, the, these are the Christians that go and hide from culture. And they were the Jews who would go into caves and they would hide because the world was bad and evil. So they would hide and they would stay away. And then to the right of the Essenes were the Zealots. And the Zealots were insurrectionists. The zealots believed that they needed to overthrow Rome by force. That's what, their, that's what their charter said. We need to violently overthrow the Roman Empire. Man, I'll tell you, nothing changes 2,000 years later. You got people who think the government is the answer, and you got people who want to destroy the government. And look at who's on this list. Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, who would have been over here working for the government, working for Caesar. And Jesus says, I want you in my family. I want you in my group. Your vision, your view, your life matters to me. Come on in. And then he goes and he finds Simon the Zealot, who probably wanted to kill Matthew. And he says, you who thinks the guy Matthew's working for is evil, you come on in too. This is the life group that Jesus created. Now, I am not suggesting that you go get yourself a far lefter and a far righter and put them in your small group. That's not what I'm suggesting. Because let's be honest, only Jesus could put up with a group like that. But the point that I am making is that not everybody was the same. Not everybody was the same. They were diverse. And this is what keeps some of you out of life group. This is what, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you don't want to go because some people aren't like you. And again, get over yourself because we're all thankful that not everybody's like you. We are not automatons. We are not Robots. We are different and unique and everybody has a different story and everybody has a different upbringing and everybody comes from a different genetics and a different background and a different sin struggle and a different history of hurts and hangups and hardships and we need to have some grace for each other and then we need to learn to listen to each other and we need to have some hearts for others who can teach us about a different side of Jesus. Some of us needed Jesus to heal us for 20 some odd years and we know Jesus is the healer and then some of us have been fighting in the spiritual realm fighting the battles of, of the flesh fighting against culture and we are war we are war weary but we need to get with the healing people and they need to heal it that's, that's, the, that's the power of the community of Jesus some of you are raising toddlers you need to be in community with people who are raising teenagers so that they can tell you that this season of raising toddlers 
This too shall pass. Some of you are raising teenagers. You need to get to some empty nesters. And you need to listen to them say, yeah, I've been there. I went through the terrible teens and I know what it's like. And you will get through it. If we can get through it, you can get through it. And you need people who are different than you. Because Proverbs 27, 17 says what? Iron sharpens iron. And one man or one woman sharpens another. Hey, you want to be sharp? Get in life group. You want to have a sharp Christian faith, get yourself in life group. Here's point number three. Jesus' life group was called to shine in different ways. This is, this is my favorite point. This is my favorite I'm so excited to share this with you. Okay, remember that John chapter one says, Jesus is the light that came into the world. It says he was the true light giving life to all men. It says that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then we have to remember that he also called us, those who would follow him and place our faith in him. He called us the light of the world. Look at it, Matthew chapter five, verse 14. You. If you are a Christian, if you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again and is Lord of lords and King of kings, if you say yes to that, Jesus says you're the light of the world. Because as we walk in his light, we become the light. And it says this, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, stop hiding. Don't you go be seeing on people. Don't you go hiding in your cave and segregating from society and thinking that you're, you're supposed to just stay away from everybody because everybody else, else will take you. No, you've got to come out from your hiding place. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand. They're proud. Can I just tell you, God wants to show you off. He wants you to be seen. And I want to talk to somebody because I know somebody's feeling this right now. You say, I have nothing to offer. I'm no good to anybody. Surely there's no good gifts in me. Wrong. There's something in you that God wants to put on a stand so that you can bring light to others in the house. Look at verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light, say it everybody, shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You've got a light in you. You, if you are a Christian today, you've got to shine. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are, say it, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do nothing, do, I'm sorry, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Another, another translation says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Oh, that was tough. <laughs> so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blameless, uh, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you what? Shine as what? lights in the world holding fast to the word of life John chapter 8 where Jesus says I am the light of the world in verse 12 he says I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life friends hear me this morning please note this remember this back to our illustration from last week you are the light of the world. God has put light in you. Now, you need to understand physically, 
There are different kinds of lights for different kinds of purposes. Remember I said in week one of this series, I said that there's, that Genesis chapter one is not just telling us how God created the world. It's a picture. It's a picture of truth. I want to bring you back to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse three, he says, let there be light. And there was light. But did you know that you got to get to day four? Day four in the six day creation before there's a sun in the sky and a moon in the sky and stars in the universe. Did you know that? Did you know? You got to read it because look what it says here in Genesis 1.14. Look what it says. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So, so he's putting the sun. Look what it says. And let them be signs for seasons and for days and for years. They all got, they all got a purpose. And let the lights be in the, let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. I want to remind you, I want to say it again. These lights and everything that happens in creation is not just telling us how God created the world. It is a spiritual picture for how God works in his church. So God says, let there be light. Jesus comes into the world, gives birth to the church. And God fills the kingdom of Jesus, just like he does on day four of creation, with different kinds of lights. Did you know before we had calendars, before we had iPhone calendars, before we had all these kind of technology that they tell, they, they told the months by the stars in the sky. The stars' purpose was to tell us what month it was. The sun tells us what time of the day it is. The sun also provides photosynthesis in plants to produce crops. The sun brings vitamin D into our body. The moon helps us navigate what time of the month it is. And then there's um, certain stars that navigate sailors on the sea. They can get lost without a compass and without any technology. And if they properly watch the stars, they can find their way home through different kinds of lights. I'm trying to show you something about the church. Just like in the physical world, there are different kinds of lights for different purposes. So too in the church, there are different kinds of lights for different kinds of purposes. And I wanna explain that to you with an illustration. And I need to give credit where credit is due. I saw this illustration from a preacher named Joaquim Lundquist in Sweden. I'm totally ripping it off, just so you know, give credit where credit is due, but it applies. I adjusted it for this message. It applies to what we're talking about. There's all kinds of different light bulbs, aren't there? And a lot of Christians are like different kinds of light bulbs. The first kind of Christian I want to talk about is the comfort light. Yeah. These are the warm, cozy Christians. These are the Christians, when you have a sickness, they are at your front door with a casserole at 9 a.m. They're like, here, just heat it up in the microwave for three minutes. There you go. There's chicken cacciatore, whatever it is. I mean, they're just ready to feed you. They're ready to pray for you. The scripture talks about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says that they're comforted in themselves so that they can bring comfort every 
everywhere to everyone around them. They've been through some stuff and they love to pray for you. Oh man, if you need to talk to somebody on the phone for six hours, this is your Christian right here. Call them up. They will not let you off the phone. Thank God for some comfort lights in the house of God. Can we give them a hand for the comfort lights in the house? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But let's be honest, if the whole church was comfort lights... After a while, it'd be like too much Jolly Rancher. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? So what God does is he bounces them out with some fire lights. These are the Christians who are always on fire for God. They just love to shout. They love to praise. They love to raise their hands and worship. They think you're backslidden all the time. They think you're never in love with Jesus enough. And they want to fire you. They pray for you constantly that you will get right with God. They're always casting out demons. Everything's a demon. They have a flat tower in the woodwork. It's a demon. We're going to cast it out. I mean, they are fired up for God. But let's be honest. And, and by the way, wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's, give some, let's give a hand for our fiery Christians. I want to make sure we appreciate every single one. But let's be honest. If the whole church was fired up Christians, man, it would be like too intense, too intense. So God balances out our fiery friends with thy, these groups of Christians. I love these. These are the party Christians. Raise the roof, Christians. These are the people who love to party. They, they will throw the barbecue on Memorial Day. They will throw the barbecue on Labor Day. Heck, they'll throw the barbecue on Aber, Aber, Aber Day. And they don't care. They're always looking for a, ch- a chance to celebrate. And they don't call it fellowship because that's too spiritual. That's too spiritual. They call it a party. And there might be beer. So be warned. And thank God. Because life is so depressing sometimes. And we need some Christians who will throw us a party, who will have people over, and who will celebrate. And they're not spiritual enough. They just want the church to have a good time together because the world can be depressing. Can we give it up for the party Christians in the house? Oh, yeah, thank God for our party Christians. Amen. But we can't just party. And we can't just get fiery. And this is the next light. I love these Christians. These are our classical Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they are the people. They're probably in their 60s, 70s, 80s. They love old school church. These are the people that are currently offended right now by the tears in my jeans. Okay? These are people who don't think I should have jeans on at all. They're wondering, where's my shirt and tie? But I thank God for these people because they've been in the church for years. They've been holding on to the faith from before I was born. They were the ones who fought the battles for Christ before we got here. Can we give some thanks to the classical Christians? Man, they loved the songs that were written before your great-great-great-granddad was, was born. They loved the old hymns. They loved the old Bibles. They loved the King James Version. Man, thank God for these Christians that keep us rooted in our history. But they also got to get with other people, and they got to learn from some partiers and some fireies and some comforts. And then these guys, look at this little guy right here. Looks insignificant, doesn't he? Let me explain to you who this is. You know who this is? This is the appliance bulb. You know who these people are? These are the people that can survive extreme conditions. You can put this light bulb in a 500 degree oven and a negative 30 degree freezer and they don't stop burning. These are the people who suffer well for Jesus. 
And some of you, man, that's your story. You don't understand why does God always put you through it? Why does God always bring you through it? Why does God always make you go through it? You know why? Because he knows you can take it. Uh, the, the party people have no shot at the stuff you've been through. And that's why you need to be around some party people because they'll help you get through some of those hard times. And the party people need these people because they'll balance out their part. They'll remind them, look, you got to suffer for Christ. you got to take up your cross and suffer. you got to walk the walk. you gotta, you got to stay strong even in the midst of death, even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of things when things don't go your way. you got to stay hot because the world is looking at you. Thank God. Can we give a hand to all the suffering, extreme condition Christians in the house? And then... To balance this all out, God has this light. These are the flashlights in the house of God. And you know who these people are? These are the mission-oriented Christians. This is Brandon, Pastor Brandon down in Guatemala. This is, this is Jeff Mokarski down in Peru. They are always looking for the lost. These are the people who, whenever they're sitting on a plane, that person sitting next to them, they're going to have the worst flight of their life because they're just going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear about the gospel. They're going to get witness to. They're going to witness to the girl at the Dunkin' Donuts counter. They're going to witness to the guy pumping his gas next to them, pumping the gas. They never stop telling others about Jesus. Don't make fun of them because God has a purpose for them. And they fire us up and remind us that we aren't just here to gather in a building. We're here to leave the building and reach people for Christ. Can we give it up for the mission, Christian? in the house today. Thank God for them. Amen. And then to balance to balance them out. I like these Christians. I'm kind of like this Christian. This, different kind of light. These are the study Christians. The desk light. <laughs> oh, these Christians, they, they get overjoyed at Greek word studies. You, you tell them the Hebrew word is this, and they're just like, wow, I love They study the Bible. They read through it every year. They have devotions for an hour a day. They love, they love Bible lists. They know the Ten Commandments forward and backward. They know the names of the apostles. They know every name of all the kings of Israel because they just love to study God's word. And men, can we give it up for the study Christians? Because you know what they do? They keep us rooted in the word. They keep reminding us we got to take the word of God seriously. We got to not be hearers. We got to be doers. Oh, thank God for the study Christians, but to balance them out because we can't all just be studying all day. I want to introduce you to my, my personal favorite Christian. Here we are. Are you ready? Work like Christian. Oh, yeah. These people hammer for the Holy Ghost. These people pickaxe with a purpose. These people shovel someone's driveway in the power of the Spirit. I mean, I love these people. Man, they get most fired up when workday comes around. They just love to work the church. They just love to serve the body. By the way, they're the people who clean up after you here on Sunday. They're the people who are going to go through the queues and pick up all your junk and all the stuff you left behind. And, and if it's valuable, they'll keep it. That's their reward. Amen. But now these are the people that serve you at parking, at cafe, at kids ministry. Can we give it a big hand for the work Christians in the house? Woo! I love people who put their hands to the plow. And by the way, have some grace with them because they don't like Bible studies. Mm, they, they don't like meditating. They don't like memorizing the word. So have some grace. They got their gift. Let them use it. Thank God for them. And then the last one I want to mention, and we're going to do this quickly because these people can be intense. These are the fluorescent bulb Christians. And let me tell you about these people. These are, whoa, these are the end times 
focused Christians. They can sniff sin out 60 yards out, man. They're always telling you who the Antichrist is. They're always arguing pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, pre-trip, uh, post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial. They got all the dots now. They got all the, 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 the details down of, of how the one world government is going to come and control all our lives. And the, and the COVID vaccine was practiced for the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they don't they just talk about all that stuff because they're always convinced that Jesus is coming back now. You never know. And thank God for these Christians. But how many know? Thanks. You gotta have them in small doses. But can we give a hand for our fluorescent Christians? Because they are necessary to fire us up for the return of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what God has come to create different lights for different seasons. And I wanna talk to you about last week's bulb because this is where some of you are. This is where some of you are in the kingdom of God. You're all alone. You're isolated. You don't get in community. And you miss out on someone firing you up. You miss out on someone throwing you a party because you don't know anybody. You miss out on the historical values of the Christian faith. You don't learn how to suffer well. And you have no clue to be ready for the return of Jesus. You don't know how to study the word or work and all that stuff. You don't have a heart for the lost because you're not around these people. You need community. And I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, I'm calling out to you, get out of isolation. Scripture says in Psalm 68 verse 6, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. He settles the solitary in a home. And you can't do this. Listen, you can't just be like, I'm going to try it. And then just like, you just wait and be, you got you to gotta press in. You gotta tune in. You gotta give yourself a couple efforts. Get back to the group. Get back into the community. Get connected. Get lit up. Learn from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you need them. And listen to me very carefully. They need you. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Above all, above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. You can't love one another if you're not around each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. Open up your home. Don't do it grumblingly. Don't do it grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You can't serve others if you don't get in community. And you are going to be a good steward of God's varied grace. If we just light all these suckers up, look at this. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. Everybody doing something and bringing all kinds of unique light to the world. I'm trying my best to get these all done. All kinds of different lights to the world. That is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the church that I love. It's the church that Jesus has chosen to build. It's the church that you want to be a part of. It's the church that will bless your family. It's the church that will change your marriage. It's the church that will heal your hurts. It's the church that will be there when you're broken, when you lose a loved one, when you don't know what to do, when you're confused, when you need to get back into the word, when you need to get back on your knees, when you need to get fired up and serious about God. That's what community does. And that's where you find your power. Sermon in a sentence. Write this down. When I plug into the community of Jesus, 
I benefit from the diverse gifts God has established in his family. Write it down so that you don't forget it. But you gotta do it. I gotta plug in. I gotta, I gotta make the effort. I gotta get out of the row and get into the circle. Now, don't leave the row behind. The row is here for you every week, but then get into circles. Face each other. Get into action group. Maybe you're just not a, a small group kind of discussion guy. All right, get into action group. Maybe you're still worried about getting sick and all that kind of stuff. And you don't want to do it online or you're distant from us and that's okay too. Get into an e-group. There is a place for you. In our lobbies today, in all locations, there are going to be people intentionally waiting for you to help you plug in to the beautiful, diverse kingdom of God. I want you to stand with me. All locations, everybody standing, every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. Would you, would you just close, close yourself in with God for a second? Don't look around because some of you, before you get into the family of God, you need to join the family of God. So I'm going to lead you in what we call a prayer of confession. We don't call it the sinner's prayer. This is a prayer of confession where you get a chance to say yes to Jesus for the first time in your life. Or maybe it's time to come back to Jesus. You have been wondering for years. You need to come back and be serious about this thing called Jesus, called following Jesus. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to say a prayer after me. If that's you, you know you need Jesus. It's a prayer of repentance and confession. You can say it quietly, but say it with your mouth and say it from your heart. If that's you, right where you are, say, Heavenly Father, today I receive Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe he died and rose again. And today I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Today I declare Jesus is Lord in Jesus' name.